Welcome to the DLA Piper Tech Law series, in which I will be launching the European Technology Index 2020. It is a survey from 350 senior executives across Europe. And today we have as a guest, Jian Kim from Samsung Next. Jian, would you mind please giving yourself an introduction? Hi, Luca. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jean Kim. I am the Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Samsung Next. This year, our 350 respondents viewed access to talent as less important than in previous years. Only 22% rated it amongst the top three important matters in an acquisition. Jean, what do you think is the influence of access to talent on DNI and vice versa? Um, overall, this question of, of how do we think about DNI and talent scarcity, it, it, it has to be kind of top of mind every time. Ultimately, um, specifically with diversity, uh, what we're seeking is more representation in an industry. Um, in an environment where the economy is more likely to impact um, people from underrepresented and marginalized communities, it's even more important um, that we have this top of mind and, and we don't lose its importance. Um, and so kind of when we fast forward um, now to uh, what's happening uh, with the Black Lives um, Matter movement, as, as I know um, kind of folks around the world are, are aware, um, and back at the at end of May, uh, George Floyd was tragically murdered in the United States and um, kind of the effects of that have had ripple effects really around the world. Um, and so when you look back, um, Black Lives Matter movement begins in 2013. Um, it gains tremendous momentum in 2014 after the tragic death of um, a man named, uh, an individual named Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, and at the time uh, when Michael Brown was killed, essentially um, there, there were no large tech companies. There was not a corporate response um, in any way uh, in terms of public statements um, in response to the incidents. Uh, there were a few CEOs who made comments here and there on Twitter, um, but really nothing compared to the mass responses we see today. Um, and, and I think there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, so specifically, when I think about the tech landscape back in 2014, um, diversity and inclusion, it was it was not much of a conversation. Um, it was not a big one. Um, it wasn't a, like a function at many companies. And so it was really only that same year in 2014 when um, Google kind of famously released its internal diversity data for the first time. And that really prompted the DNI wave that followed in tech um, across the world. And so today's response um, in response to George Floyd and Black Lives Matter is markedly different um, for a number of reasons. And I think it has to do with you know, the momentum of Black Lives Matter, the great work that kind of activists have done. I think it has to do with the emergence of DNI as a really significant function in the tech industry. And it also has to do with changing demographics of those in the industry who are just um, who are more diverse, uh, but also have different expectations from their employers compared to previous generations. Um, and also, as we were talking about before, uh, it has to do with the impact of the coronavirus, which has really kind of forced us to have eyes on the situation uh, globally in a way we were unable to before. Um, and so I think um, 
the interesting thing for me uh, is that uh, so from 2014 to 2020, uh, so much of the conversation um, about DNI in the tech industry was revolved around business case. So how does it impact performance and innovation and so on? Um, and then you fast forward to the past month where within the span of a few weeks, there has been a really profound impact on the industry. I would say in a lot of ways, even more progress than what we've seen in the past um, six to 10 years. Um, and I think what this really is, is this moment shows us uh, that it's important for business leaders to uh, and tech leaders to acknowledge that DNI is is an issue of justice. It's a humanitarian issue. Um, and, and, and so I think in a lot of ways, I see tech leaders who have not been fully motivated in the importance of pursuing DNI because of the business case. Um, we've known that the business case exists for quite some time now, and it hasn't led to tremendously significant progress. However, we now see tech leaders being motivated um, because they see DNI as an issue of justice. And I think it's kind of symbolic of the importance of calling things as they are and um, being uh, honest about the origins of why things exist. Um, and so, you know, you know, I think overall what, what I'm trying to say here is um, I, I think right now the, the industry or around the world, the tech industry, we're living in a time where um, things are evolving, things are changing. Um, the way that we're approaching and, and talking about DNI is evolving and it should continue to evolve. And um, it really makes me feel hopeful uh, for what I hope are more richer, more honest discussions about the importance of DNI. I think, you know, last year, um, last year, this conversation, you know, would we be having this conversation between the two of us? You know, particularly, would we be putting it in the context of something like the Black Lives Matter movement? So I think it allows us, um, all of us around the world, to think with more um, nuance and depth about the way we talk about these issues, um, instead of placing DNI in this box where it's only talked about in the context of business and performance. Um, and again, I think that'll just make the work here really strong. Um, if we can say it's 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 we know that DNI is important because it absolutely makes performance better. It's absolutely better for innovation, and also we are motivated because we understand um, that it's an important issue of justice and um, humanitarianism. And and so again, I think those worlds like really merging in an authentic way in this conversation uh, will only allow us to um, do even more um, in the work. Jen, th th thanks very much for that. I, I fully agree with you. It is uh, an unprecedented uh, time where we have the momentum to to really push forward this DNI agenda and, and to each do what we can to 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 be more diverse and, and inclusive. And 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 I and I feel that perhaps this is the first time since I have been working as a lawyer where we have DNI which is being put. One ahead of profit, which is mm. which is nice to hear. But two, also, I think there is a realization against uh, around people that uh, actually people are willing to give their customs to diverse and inclusive businesses, and therefore you can marry DNI with a, a good business, a business that is self-sustaining. 
Yeah, and I and I think exactly to your point, Luca. That that's the key here. Like, there will only be um, benefit from from this. Uh, we we know absolutely that it's great for business, um, that it's great for innovation. So, um, kind of now that we have the conviction and the courage uh, to really step out and make take some of the actions that we may have been more hesitant to make in the past, I think we'll be able uh, to more quickly see the fruits of you know, how, how wonderful it is when our teams are more diverse. Um, and so, yeah, I absolutely agree. And um, I, again, you know, sparked from such a terrible um, and tragic occurrence um, in the United States where these things, you know, have happened particularly to the Black community, or, you know, since kind of the inception of our country. But but again, from, from something terrible, I'm hoping that the silver lining here is exactly to your point, um, that a, a lot more progress will be made. Both of us work uh, uh, in environments where technology is at the core of it, and you know I have yep. clients that invest, and you know Samsung Next invests in uh, digital therapeutics, uh, 5G, uh, robotics, uh, artificial intelligence. How do you see uh, uh, DNI interacting in any of these investments and and strategies? Do you see? Any of, all, any of your investment having a particular eye toward uh, DNI when investing in these areas that might be relevant? To answer that question, Luca, I, I think I'm actually going to talk kind of broadly about how we think about DNI DNI as part of our investment strategy within the investment space. DNI has long been a conversation. Um, again, with uh, the current events in response to the Black Lives Matter movement, it's become an even bigger conversation. And I think the conversation here has been interesting um, for for several reasons. But to, to again to to put it in context, um, much of the movement that has occurred um, in in my opinion, in, in the investment space in DNI is because of data that has been used to shed light on the problems. So, you know, when you, you see the articles about um, kind of the, the huge gaps in representation for um, across two areas, um, one percentage of uh, underrepresented founders um, in the industry around the world, and then percentage of individuals from underrepresented backgrounds who hold positions of power um, in uh, the investment space. Um, and, and to this point of kind of the, the interesting conversation that I'm talking about is I think now um, I'm seeing a lot more emphasis being put on uh, what thus far has the investment industry uh, invested in um, in terms of DNI strategy that's been more of a kind of superficial band-aid solution and and what do we need to do to tackle it more systemically and make long-term changes so kind of a really specific example um, is this idea of uh, creating separate funds for uh, black or underrepresented founders that's been something that's been talked about a lot um, you know in this past month um, I think for me overall, putting any amount of dollars towards underrepresented founders is a good thing. But the question has been like, why does the fund need to be separate? Um, if if a fund hasn't been investing in underrepresented founders thus far, does a separate pile of money, does it actually change anything? Um, and so, you know, I think as we shift the conversation from what are some of the things we may have done, like the separate fund, to what are the 
things we need to do that may be more systemic, that may be long term. Uh, again, I, I think that opens the door for uh, the investment space um, to, to change uh, more than it has in the past couple of years. Um, and, and so at Next, uh, I, I work closely with our ventures team. Um, and, and I think the importance here is really like, how is, how is diversity inclusion baked into the overall investment strategy? Um, and, and for us, we kind of think about it, um, I, I, I call it, you know, I, I would describe it as three, three different levels. So um, at the self level, the organization level as next, and then at this larger systems level. So um, at the self level, I think it's about how are we as individual actors who, um, you know, are, are operating in the investment space, how are we combating the individual biases that impact our decision making processes around, you know, who we hire, who we fund? Um, do we believe that bias is real? Is it is it an openly acknowledged topic when it comes to decision making conversation? And do we have mechanisms in place? So a system of checks and learning and development opportunities. And then when you move to kind of the organizational level, I, I really think the most important thing here is about structures um, that we set up around accountability. Uh, so setting goals, um, having uh, having um, a method to to track. Uh, and and um, you know take account of the the data uh, whether it's around how much funding is allocated to underrepresented founders or if we're investing um, in particular products software or services that impact marginalized communities um, and so I think as a numbers oriented industry we should really push ourselves to think about numbers here too so the same way we would set goals for any other part of our work we have to set goals um, around DNI. Um, and, and I've created, uh, as you know, kind of this self-ID uh, work that is helping us um, do that. When you move out to the systems level, I think this is all about how um, in our investment strategy, we're fostering an environment that's inclusive of um, marginalized people around the world. So for us, this has really been about partnering with organizations that uh, directly serve underrepresented founders and amplifying and supporting their work through human or financial capital. Um, and I think this allows um, us to help uh, the in, um, individuals, particularly from underrepresented backgrounds, you know, expand their networks, uh, break down barriers, and it really starts to create this environment in which success becomes less and less of an exclusive thing because um, we're really kind of broadening um, you know, our communities uh, everywhere. You did mention your self-identification survey and I think actually it is important for people to have the data because whilst I agree with you that people suffer from bias and a lot of times they don't realize they have certain yeah. biases. Um, when it's presented to you the with the data that you know you are effectively discriminating against yeah. a lot of different people and, and diversities, the argument becomes quite compelling to try and you know become aware of those biases. And, and I personally am actually very much in favor of strong nudges from the state, whether mm -hmm. that be quarter or incentives, to kind of remedy this situation. Um, mm -hmm. There have been. Uh, and, and one of the things I wanted to, to question, to, to ask you was, uh, how is the, the survey going in terms of, uh, you know, other people taking it, uh, you know, you getting the data? Uh, does it show any surprising trend from your point of view? 
so um, kind of going back to like how we got to the place of this survey um, and a lot of people, you know, when they're like, it's a survey, it seems like such a simple concept and it is, um, but I think it's really important. And so, um, you know, how this started was uh, to our knowledge, there are few uh, VCs, if any, um, that are really kind of systematically surveying and tracking their pipeline or their portfolio company diversity um, data. And so, as I was saying before, much of the information that we have about diversity in the industry around the world is the result of third party researchers or organizations, not VCs themselves. Um, so usually kind of these third parties, they take on the surveying themselves. Oftentimes they rely on visual identification signals um, and that can um, lead to imprecise uh, demographic information. Um, and again, I think this has been the norm in the industry um, to date, I think with reason. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are two things, explicitly asking um, an entrepreneur for demographic diversity, data, uh, particularly um, in, in places around the world where this is not as common to like categorize or group people into different ways. It could raise concern to that entrepreneur um, of, uh, you know, what if it's used in a discriminatory way in regards to funding consideration? Also, you know, it could feel intrusive to be asked particular questions, but we really believe that um, as an industry, as, as um, individuals working in the investment space, we're not positioned to make substantial change if we don't take that personal accountability to gather, track, and act on the data ourselves. Um, and we chose this self-identification survey um, for three reasons. Uh, so one, um, as I was saying before, visual ID is limiting. Um, you know, I, I may think uh, that someone identifies in some way, but kind of that's not my, um, th that, that should not be something that I do for another person. Uh, two, it's the best practice in gathering, um, you know, the most accurate data of this kind. So uh, in a lot of, um, uh, uh, government uh, regulated spaces, um, self-identification is the way that you I would identify something like someone's ethnicity. Um, and, and then the third reason we pursued self-ID is because it's a practice that's already in place. So um, specifically in the United States, um, many companies implement self-identification surveys to measure the diversity of their internal workforce. So um, our thought here was, um, our thought here was, uh, why, why can't we do that in the investment space? Um, and so kind of we went through a process of doing um, all this research, like what are the right questions we should ask? How should we ask them? Um, and uh, to this point of um, how's it going? Um, you know, I, I think it's a newer, it's, it's, a, it's a newer concept um, in the sense that uh, when we've asked some entrepreneurs, I think overall the feeling has been like, this is great. You all are like tracking the data. Um, this is wonderful. And there's been some questions more like, you know, what are you going to do with this? Um, you know, this feels slightly intrusive. And, and so I think the really important thing here, as I've kind of talked um, more about it with our peers um, in the investment space, uh, is to just share that, um, you know, it. it to ensure that the survey doesn't feel like a superficial attempt to address the diversity problem, um, we need to ensure that we're taking on 
other diversity DNI measures, um, some of which I was talking about before around kind of how we hire, how we tackle unconscious biases. Um, but we believe this is like a both and situation. So we can take multiple steps at the same time. And this, um, this survey piece is a big part of it. Um, I think the other thing I would say here is uh, to your point of um, what have you discovered? Have you discovered anything um, particularly uh, mind blowing? Um, not necessarily, right? Uh, because, you know, I, we imagined that when we gave the survey, survey, the data would show us things like a majority of our entrepreneurs are um, identify as white or identify as Asian. That those those are pretty well known statistics. But I think the extremely important thing here is how we actively analyze the data and ask ourselves questions like, um, you know, where within our process are we most losing underrepresented people in our pipeline? Um, is there a complete lack of presence of a particular group of identity? within the pipeline. I think that's where the survey is really important. And again, you know, data is a lagging indicator. Um, here, the impact is really in what we do with the data, how we action the data. And again, I still think it's a really crucial measure of accountability that um, we, we take it on ourselves. Um, I think uh, just kind of, you know, given the audience and um, uh, the, the, the survey kind of coming out to the European audience, um, one of the most uh, challenging but interesting things uh, that I've faced in this project is thinking about, you know, what are the best way to ask particular questions uh, in Europe where um, uh, uh, descriptions around people's identity, particularly, let's say, uh, along lines of ethnicity, look really different. You know, what is the proper way to ask those things culturally, colloquially? Um, and, you know, I, I think when it's not as common of a practice, it can feel quite foreign to be asked those questions. Uh, but again, um, I think particularly in, in uh, countries um, outside of the U.S. where um, maybe this data isn't already being collected in different ways, um, it'll be kind of a longer process to get to a place where it is more common to have the data. Uh, but without it, um, it'll be hard to, I, I think, really make progress. Um, um, and so I, I think it's about how we ensure um, that that um, we, we, we share what this, what we're using this data for, um, that it's not just some kind of voyeuristic, we want to know things about people, uh, but we really believe that this is a measure of accountability that will allow us to make programmatic and um, kind of systematic changes to our strategy. I was wondering if you have any thoughts on how artificial intelligence uh, um, is touted as a solution to a lot of other problems. We mentioned how you know analysis from data has revealed uh, the, the great discrimination that goes around. Uh, probably uh, you know, everywhere you look. Um, and one of our uh, statistics from uh, the DLA Piper European Technology Index 2020 um, was that only 2% of the respondents felt that uh, artificial intelligence could improve the human resources uh, of a company. And I wonder whether it actually is in the world uh, in the sense that the artificial intelligence is artificial. Once the human resources, you require a human touch. Mm -hmm. I, I was wondering if, if you had any comments on that. 
I mean, it's interesting that you talk about a human touch because I think about that a lot too, particularly in DNI, because I think um, it, it's it's one of those uh, few kind of functions in the modern age that I don't think can easily be replaced uh, by by a machine. Uh, but but fundamentally, you know, I, I think the idea of AI it, it can definitely have a place in improving DNI. You know, fundamentally, uh, a machine is not going to have inherent biases like a human being because they're built on data and algorithms. So you know, I would say in a perfect world, when things are developed perfectly, deployed perfectly, um, AI really has the ability to um, have a positive impact on HR. Um, however, uh, the reality um, you know, is that these machines, while they may be neutral at the onset, they're built by individuals in a field that is overwhelmingly um, uh, white men. Um, so it's, it's definitely at risk of perpetuating bias uh, because again, humans are sensitive to biases. Um, and, and kind of we've seen already kind of bad examples of what this can look like. So, you know, like image recognition services that are not are offensively categorizing people of color or uh, chatbots that adopt hate speech or uh, technology that fails to recognize, um, you know, maybe a user with a darker skin tone. Um, and so this goes back to, I think, what we were talking about before, that um, this is a situation where the biases of the systems built by the AI industry can be largely attributed to the lack of diversity uh, within the field itself. So again, I think um, this goes back to how are we endeavoring um, to create an industry that is um, in and of itself diverse, that um, no matter who is within the industry, we're talking about things uh, like how bias plays into the work that we do and, and the way we go about our day to day. Um, and so again, you know, uh, fundamentally, do I believe it can improve DNI? Yes, uh, but I think we're, we're not quite there uh, just yet. Thank you, Jim, for joining the call and for your insightful thoughts. Thank you so much, Luca. It was wonderful talking to you. Really appreciate um, the opportunity to chat.